When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Flint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, it's Monday, man. Uh, my question is, is any hospital trips or visits after that uh, crazy game on Saturday? Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I was honestly so shocked that they came back at the end and played like they did in the last two minutes. I wasn't even like, uh, boy, they almost gave me a heart attack. I was more like, hey, what happened? I thought we already lost. <laughs> you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's like we lost, and then uh, the officials got together and decided, no, you know what, Alabama won that game. Uh, it was. I, I, I'm, I'm not the type to, to write it off, but, but it, it just looked really bleak. I mean, we just could not sustain in any offensive success at all. If you think about it uh, off the top of my head, and I, and I should be staring at the stats when I do the show, but I think we had about 340 yards, 350. Three total. to one. Three to one. Okay. So 97 of it literally uh, over one-fourth. Of, uh, of the entire offense in the game was generated uh, just in, in, in the one drive at the end over, over 58 minutes. Um, and and ugh, that was, that part was frustrating, but as, as much as it's so easy to focus on that and be frustrated about the offense, the defense was just outstanding. I mean, they, the defense was just really, really good. Uh, even with Alabama's history of, of, of defensive performances that uh, that belongs on the hall of fame. Well, and here's what I don't understand. Um, to some degree, I guess people do have a point. You know, Auburn was very limited. You know, going into the game, they have one of the best running backs in the country, but he had not had the opportunity to have the level of success that a lot of people felt like he would because of the offensive line and their inability to run block. You have Bo Nix and the fact that he started using his legs more and he was very, you know, uh, kind of off script, very creative offensively. That made their offense more difficult to defend at times. Uh, you lose that, you get T.J. Finley, who's got a big arm, but I think anybody who had watched him against South Carolina the week before, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of hope there. And then not only that, the very limited amount that he can you know, be mobile, which he is kind of a, a you know, mobile guy for a guy his size. He's surprisingly mobile, but you're just, you just weren't going to see what you saw from Bo Nix. But then he ends up getting an ankle injury, and he's pretty much a, a statue back there. Uh, and when you look at all that stuff, it's like, well, of course Alabama's defense is going to have a great day. But I think it's the degree in which they had a great day. You know, 159 yards, uh, and that includes four overtimes. I don't know what that number was going into overtime, but even if you just did 160 or 159 yards over four quarters, that's 40 yards a quarter. You know, that, that's not a lot of yardage, and then you start sprinkling in what they got in overtime. And you realize that it's even less than that. So very impressive performance across the board. And, and, and I talked about this yesterday on the website. Um, I wrote an article about it. The uns, uh, unsung heroes of the defense, in my opinion, guys who normally are criticized, the way that I was kind of putting it to people yesterday, uh, fans yesterday on Twitter, 
I think that you have waves of how Alabama defenders are viewed. You know, you got the Will Andersons of the world. Uh, he's probably in a tier of his own, of course. Um, then you got, you know, the ne- next wave, Fedarian Mathis. You got, you know, I probably put Jordan Battle up there, um, but not a whole lot of guys. Then that next wave, you got guys who kind of get criticized and get praised. You got Jalen Armour Davis. You got Christian Harris. You have Henry Toho Toho. Um, and I would probably put, you know, Dallas Turner in that mix as well. Um, even though I think he's starting to climb into that tier two range. Um, but then at, behind them is just a wave of guys who really, you never talk about them much. And, you know, you, you really never think about them. When you think about all them as defense, you name off five, six, seven players before you even get to any of those guys. And it's the Byron Youngs of the world. It's the, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the Daniel Wrights, it's the DeMarco Hellums, uh, and, and just, you know, there were several players who I was very impressed with. LeBron Ray certainly falls into that category as well. You got a lot of great defensive performances from guys that you normally don't get great defensive performances from. That's right. Um, and there were some fill-ins. Some of them were fill-ins due to injury. I mean, Malachi Moore, I, I think that's a good example of, you know, Malachi Moore, you know, I, I didn't play. Brian Branch played the whole game at Star. I, I thought it was his best game of the year, uh, which which may mean his best game of his career since he's a young player. Um, and, of course, Kool-Aid filling in for for Jalen Armour Davis, who didn't even dress. Uh, and, and Kool-Aid not only filled in, Auburn's failure to pick on him is still mind-boggling to me that, that they play a 60-minute game. And I can't really remember them taking a lot of shots at Kool-Aid, you know, and you would think that would be a – first on the list, you know, when they see that one's out there and not five, they're like, wait, their best corner's out and replaced him with a true freshman. We're going to try to, you know, go over his head, you know, and, and I can't even remember them trying. And if they had, it probably wouldn't work because Kool is a hell of a player. And Kool-Aid makes a couple of game-winning plays, the the pass breakup in the end zone, the sack. Uh, and, again, he's a fill-in. I mean, he's not theoretically supposed to be there. Uh, to say nothing of Dallas Turner, people forget that, you know, hey, if we'd never had any injuries, Chris Allen's out there with with Will Anderson, not Dallas Turner, to say nothing of Dallas was actually behind Drew Sanders at one point. Um, uh, Dallas was, was great with 1.5 sacks and, uh, you know, getting getting good pressure on Finley throughout. So a lot of these uh, breakout guys, a lot of these uh, unsung heroes, uh, as you said, uh, were, were, were fill-ins for, for injured guys, which makes it even more unbelievable. But I think across the board, they, they all played really well on defense. Every one of them from Will, uh, from Will down to, down to, you know, the youngest guy like, like Dallas Turner, they all, all played well defensively. And uh, I, I said, going into the Georgia game, the key is you have to be playing your best football of the year. Uh, you know, uh, mission accomplished on the defense. I, I feel good about the defense going into Georgia. I don't know that we will win the game, Clint, but, I will be surprised if our defense doesn't play well enough to win, if that makes sense. I don't think when that Georgia game's over, we'll be saying, uh, we just didn't have the defense to do it this year. I think we'll either be saying our offense failed us again, <laughs> or we'll be saying, gosh, uh, Georgia was just a little much for us. Well, and, and what's interesting is that, you know, Georgia's going to have more success than Auburn did offensively. I don't think anybody's denying that. We're not exiting the SEC championship game looking at Alabama stat line and saying, man, they held Georgia to 159 total yards and, you know, at the end of regulation, 10 points. You know, that, that's just, it's not going to happen. Now, what I do find interesting, and we've been seeing this for a little while, 
first of all, you have like a trio of players up front uh, in your defensive front seven. Really, it's just your defensive front. But A, moving forward, the you know whether you're talking about for the rest of this year or especially next year, the duo of Will Anderson and Dallas Turner is going to be lethal. I don't know how, you know, opposing offenses are going to, you know, once Dallas Turner really starts turning it on and getting comfortable, because you saw this from, you know, I feel like Dallas Turner right now in a lot of ways is having or starting to have a little bit similar of a season as Will Anderson did last year. Maybe not to the same degree, but as the season wore on and Will Anderson started getting more comfortable, you started seeing him take that next step. And now he's become one of the biggest terrors in college football. And you can't automatically assume that that's going to be the the progression for Dallas Turner. But we are starting to see him playing better and better each and every week. And then you give him an entire offseason uh, to work through that stuff. They're going to be terrors next year. But for this year, you got those two guys who have emerged. You know, Will Anderson's been there all year. Dallas Turner now being that complimentary exterior piece. You got Fedarian Mathis, who each and every week. I mean, those three guys combined for four of the team six sacks on Saturday. But you now have multiple guys up front, and we've talked about this all year, haven't we? Uh, we've said that when you've seen the great Alabama defenses, they've had multiple people who opposing offenses had a very uh, tough time defending and game planning against. And I understand that it's going to start with, with Will Anderson. Nothing has changed about that. But now you have other guys who are problems that you got to start accounting for. And then it becomes, you know, how, you know, we, we really need our five offensive linemen for their three, their, their big three up front. But then they got another guy up front. They got some guys who are going to be bringing pressure off ball linebackers. You know, you saw a lot of corner blitzes and, and you know, uh, Brian Branch was sitting on a blitz. You got some safety stuff going on. Uh, you know, Daniel Wright got a sack. So I, I will I will be curious to see how Georgia does because up front, Alabama has a great run defense and they continue to prove that. And I understand that Auburn was limited when you can't threaten vertically and you don't have a, a passing attack that can complement a, a run game, then defenses are able to kind of scheme against that. They stack the box. They make it a lot more difficult on your run game. Georgia will be able to do that much more effectively than Auburn did. But Alabama has proven over the course of the, pretty much this entire year, if you take away that Florida game, that they have a very solid works in unison run defense, and that's what Georgia does well. So I think Alabama will be able to put a little bit more pressure on Stetson Bennett than other teams have been able to up to this point. Yeah, and what I'm hoping to see out of the defense this week, Clint, is that we change things up a little bit, maybe changes that even even me and you don't recognize. It doesn't have to be something blatant. Like, I I don't know how many of our our listeners remember in the 1992, Alabama had played – Alabama was the number one defense in the country – but, but they felt they needed even more. So going into Miami, they, they completely changed. They did something they hadn't done all year. Alabama had not been a blitz-happy team uh, that entire season. They had just gotten pressure from the front four, and that was all they needed because that front four was so good. But against Miami in the national championship game, they did very unique, exotic things like line up all 11 players at the line of scrimmage. It wasn't even – cover zero. I don't know. It was cover minus zero. I don't, I don't know. They didn't have anybody back. It was 11 guys lined up at the line of scrimmage, and it really confused the heck out of Miami and was a big part of Alabama's success that day. Uh, I don't know that Alabama needs to come up with anything that extreme, but hey, don't, don't let Georgia rely on 12 games of game tape where they know us backwards and forwards. you got to do something different. you got to do something they haven't prepared for but it also has to be something you can do well. Don't do something different. Go out there and be bad at it. Uh, that's not going to help. But uh, 
Alabama, hopefully Alabama's worked on something uh, that's a little new, that's a little wrinkle. Maybe it's a new blitz. Maybe it's blitzing from a new spot. Maybe it's rushing three and dropping eight and pulling an Arkansas. Hell, I don't know. But do something, <laughs> do something different because uh, Georgia, again, we're, we're that late in the season where there's just not many secrets. Everybody's got 12 games to look at now. Well, and, and what's – What's interesting is that the approach is completely different for Alabama's defense. And what's encouraging is that you've, you know, just this past week against Auburn, every time the defense stepped on the field, there was pressure. You know, your offense was not creating any sort of separation to give you something to work with. It was every time you stepped on the field. If we make a mistake on this drive, that could be the difference in this game. And when, when uh, DeMarco Hellams slipped on that touchdown, uh, the offense put the, the defense in a bad position, or I guess it wasn't the offense really. It was the good punt return and it was the, uh, what do you call it, targeting penalty on Jamison Williams that put him in that position. But, you know, it, it, it's this approach of we have to make plays. And, and that's what I think Alabama needs to approach this weekend against Georgia, especially defensively. You have to look at it and say it's not just about getting stops. This Georgia offense is exploitable in some ways. Are they a very good offense? Absolutely. But I think that you have to get creative and you have to say we have to put our offense in, in at least a couple of favorable positions to help them because I think that Alabama's offense, granted watching them against Georgia's defensive front, when you look at what happened against Auburn's, I think Auburn was up for that game. Don't get me wrong, but it is very alarming and it makes you wonder, are they going to be able to move the football before? I said, well, you know, I, I think that Georgia's going to get plenty of stops and plenty of wins, uh, you know, going against Alabama's offense, but I still think Alabama's offense is going to get theirs. I'm not as confident in that right now. I still think it could happen. I still think they're going to have a great game plan going in, but I also feel like that the defense's approach needs to be, we need to help. It's not just about getting stopped. It's about putting the offense in favorable positions. If that's getting a, a strip sack, if that's getting an interception, if that's backing them up in their own territory and punting the football and Alabama gets it at the 50, you need to approach your defensive game plan saying we need to not only complement the offense, we need to help the offense. And I think that's a little bit of a different approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and special teams, you know, we, we don't really talk about special teams too much. I think special teams are going to be huge. You know what? Here's a little uh, preview of, of the pick that we make it late in the week. I, I started thinking about the pick for Georgia last week. I was leaning towards picking Alabama wins uh, 24-23 on a, on a last-second Will Reichert field goal, and, and I don't think I'm going to actually do that. But one thing about this past weekend is Reichert, uh, Reichert made field goals under pressure this past weekend. We hadn't seen a lot of that. So uh, I, I feel like, you know, that, that even though I'm probably not going to make that pick anymore, I actually weirdly feel better about Alabama special teams in terms of, helping us win the game. Now there was a drop snap. Uh, and I was going to ask you, have you heard any, you know, on, on, on social media, it's, it's been sort of a given that Paul Tyson was benched. That's probably true, but you know, on that snap that he dropped it, he, he picked up the ball and rolled out. He also got hit. I wonder if he was hurt. You know, no one's ever talked about that. He, he could have been hurt and not benched, but uh, people, on social media, Alabama fans, they, they tend to enjoy taking out their anger on a kid. So they're like, hey, ha, ha, he's benched. Uh, he, he may have just been hurt. Yeah, that's quite the assumption to say that he got benched. I mean, I wouldn't say quite the assumption. I mean, obviously, it's following a, a rough play. Um, but there are other avenues or things that could have happened other than him getting benched, and, that, and that's certainly one of them. I mean, that it's, uh, it, it is very possible that he ended up getting injured. And it was just – it felt like that – 
you know, offensively for Alabama, any time that they would have some sort of positive play or some sort of positive, you know, the, the offensive line would finally get guys blocked and, and Bryce Young would have enough time to throw when he'd deliver a completion, you know, for a first down to be for 15 yards. It'd be, you know, a holding call or it would be, you know, something. It just it felt like that there was obstacles at every point to a point where it's almost like was it it, it could have just been one of those days. And I don't think anybody is looking at this and saying this is just one of those days. For Alabama, it's like, you know, and it's, I started the article off um, that I wrote the quick hits pieces and I acknowledged it because I did think it was funny, you know, after they won in hindsight, when I went to actually sit down and actually start writing the article, I realized, you know, reading that first paragraph, I mean, I talked about Murphy's law, you know, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And a lot of that was self-inflicted. A lot of that was, you know, Auburn just having a great game plan, being up, having a ton of energy. Nobody gave them a chance going in. They certainly gave themselves a chance and they proved it on the football field. But this was just one of those days where it felt like that anything that could go wrong for Alabama for at least, you know, three and a half, uh, you know, three to three and a half quarters, it would go wrong. And they finally get in position to score a field goal, put points on the board finally, bad snap. And, you know, you maybe even get your holder hurt or he ends up getting a bit, uh, getting benched as a result of, of a poor uh, handling of the football. You got, you know, Jamison Williams getting tossed for targeting. You know, it's just every step of the way, it seemed like there was obstacles. And that's what, to me, a lot of people are looking, they're like, it's a 6-6 six and six Auburn team. You were a 20-point favorite, a three-score favorite, and you went, you get pushed to four overtimes in that instance. It, what people don't understand is literally, I don't think Alabama, for the next three or four years, is going to step on a football field and have that much go wrong in the same game. Most people who do that, they lose by 20, 30, 40 points. Alabama still won. I don't care who you're playing against. If you have that type of, you know, what feels like luck against you and you still find a way to win, to me, I think it's a great win. And it's a reminder, you know, the Saban dynasty, it literally is that's a dynasty. It's, it's, it's not normal. It feels so normal for Alabama fans because we've seen it year after year under Nick and we forget things. Here's one thing we forgot because of the dynasty. It's hard to win SEC games on the road. It's hard for all the other SEC teams to do that Uh, unless you are crazy elite. And Georgia is, or they have been, crazy elite this season. It is hard to win SEC road games. And look what happened. We did play our best game of the year on the road in Starkville. But the other three road games, Gainesville, College Station, Auburn, uh, one was a loss and two point conversion play won both at Florida by defending one and uh, and then Auburn by by the overtimes. Uh, It's hard to win SEC road games. We were just reminded of that fact that we had conveniently forgotten uh, because we've had such elite teams uh, recently. And here's the other thing, too. And this is sometimes it's just good to win. And Nick Saban's talked about that, and fans are frustrated with it. And it's like, oh, you've been the one that spoiled us. Well, you need to recalculate because this is a different football team. And which would you rather have? Would you rather have coming out of the Auburn game on Saturday in the Iron Bowl with a win, feeling like it was a very ugly, sloppy win? Or would, would you rather have felt like you were the better team for three quarters and lost like Florida did when Alabama went to the swamp? You know, a moral victory. Awesome. We lost on the scoreboard. But, we, hey, we played really well, and we, we were the better team for three quarters. You know, if as an Alabama fan, which would you pick? Would you pick, you know, playing well and losing, or would you pick playing terrible and winning? I mean, that's what, <laughs> what it comes down to. And at this point, a lot of people, we talked about it. It was possible that Alabama could be looking ahead to Georgia, and maybe that's something that showed up here. 
But now we're in a situation where nobody is really giving them a chance in the SEC championship or very few people are. And I am excited this week to not only, you know, kind of work through it with you, um, but also just to, to see how the approach is different from Alabama's perspective, because we haven't seen it in so long. Exactly. Uh, and in terms of, okay, what's this remind me of? To me, the Georgia game this week reminds me of 08 Florida and 09 Florida, those SEC championship games back at the beginning of the dynasty where you go play for an SEC championship with a chance to go play for a national championship, and you're not sure whether you're good enough. And 08, that was the question going into the game. Alabama was undefeated, and but, but, you, but now you're playing a Florida dynasty-type team with Tim Tebow at quarterback, and you're like, are we good enough to win this game? And we almost were. Tim Tebow was just too much. He was the difference. And 09, same thing. You're undefeated going in, and now you feel better about it. You're like, you know, I think we really are good enough. And, and then Alabama proved it that day uh, with Greg McElroy beating Tebow in 09. To me, th- that's what this game feels like. I'm really questioning whether Alabama is good enough to beat Georgia. Uh, not the Pat Dye man enough thing. I mean, good enough. Do we have, do we have enough good players to beat this great Georgia team. Uh, I don't know that we do. And it's the first time I have said that prior to a game uh, since, since 08, 09, Florida. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And in, in this whole idea of, oh, you know, Alabama almost lost to a six and six Auburn team. First of all, the reason that Auburn six and six is because the SEC West is one of the most competitive divisions that I've ever seen in college football. From start to finish, the number seven team on any given Saturday can beat the number one team. You talk about Mississippi State. I understand that Alabama blew them out, but if you, they played 10 times, Mississippi State would get theirs. They probably win at least a couple of those. Would Vanderbilt beat Georgia? They could play 100 times, and I don't think they're beating Georgia one single time. So, you know, it's a very competitive division, and if you want proof of that, Auburn goes to Happy Valley. They go to Penn State, and they go toe-to-toe with Penn State. Now, Penn State is now a 7-5 and football team, but if you look, when they played number three, Iowa at the time was a top 25 team. Now they lost by three. They lost by uh, nine points to Ohio State. They lost by four points to Michigan. They lost by three points to Michigan State. All of these Big Ten teams that are top, you know, 25, top 10, top five, you know, competing for a college football playoff spot. Penn State went to to battle, and you you throw Wisconsin in there as well in week one. They won that game by six points. They've played all of these teams close. And Auburn, the six and six football team that you're criticizing right now for Alabama playing, they went toe to toe with them as well. That's a, and they went to Happy Valley to do that. So it's the record does not adequately reflect how good of a football team Auburn is. It doesn't reflect how good Texas A and M is. They're eight and four. They're you know and now Alabama's loss look, looks a little bit worse. But when you look at Texas A and M, they are a better football team than that record reflects. Arkansas is a better football team than their record reflects. So it's just it, it, that's the frustrating part for me is that everybody's pointing at records and it's like you're completely eliminating or taking out or how competitive the division that Auburn played in this year actually is. Oh, absolutely. 
uh, felt like a year, even nationally, great, great, uh, you know, talking about the Big Ten, it, it kind of feels like a year where number two through maybe number 20 or 22 are all really about the same nationally, that there's not a ton of separation between the second best team, whoever that is, and the 22nd best team, whoever that is. There's just not a lot of separation there. Anybody can beat anybody. Home field means a lot. Uh, but it is Georgia that's number one and, and, and separated themselves from everyone else. Um, and, and that's what it feels like going into Saturday. And, and you know, the, Alabama struggles. Uh, the, the, you know, 13 SEC teams made bowl games. What that tells me, that doesn't tell me the league is super elite. It just tells me there's not much separation. If, if I knew 13 teams were making the, the bowls, I would go, gosh, that's a lot of six and six and seven and five teams. And there, there is. There's not many better than six and six, seven and five. Uh, just, just a year where everybody was sort of bunched up. And, 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 and unfortunately for Alabama, who's used to kind of being in Georgia's position, uh, we were in the bunch. But we're one of the better teams in the bunch. Uh, I know that because of where we're ranked. Uh, we're right. We're going to be probably number three in the playoff poll tomorrow night. We'll have a show about that Wednesday morning. But you know that that those those teams aren't picked out of a hat. Those are experts who examine all the teams closely and rank them. And they're going to say Alabama's the third best team in the country. So that's uh, that's a lot to be proud of. Uh, again, uh, I've said it before on the show. I'll say it again, probably even next season and the season after that. And that's just simply uh, Alabama has played football for 130 years now. I refuse to believe we've only had 18 good seasons and the rest are crap. Uh, that's just dumb and it's not true. And uh, look, when you when you win 11 regular season games and you win the West and you play for the SEC championship and you're number three in the final regular season poll, uh, it's, 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 this has been a really good football team. It's been a really good one. It's just not one of the best teams of the Saban dynasty, but they have a chance to prove that maybe they are. Question for you, Jimmy. Let's say that this season is following the 2019 season when Alabama missed the college football playoff for the first time since the college football playoff became a thing. Instead of following the season where Alabama had a historically good offense, had one of the best seasons of, in school history and went undefeated, do you think the approach to this team would be more, you know, the fans would embrace it a little bit more if it was following 2019 compared to 2020. Yeah, I think there's no doubt that's true. I, I think some just can't handle the backup from last year, that the team backed up from last year, which was coming. We all said it was coming. I mean, all, all of us who have a job to do about analyzing the team, no one was saying Alabama was going to be better than they were last year. I can't recall one single analysts from the Tuscaloosa News or from On3 or, or any of the other sites uh, saying or, or Herb Street saying, watch out for Alabama, they're even better than last year. No one was saying that. It was good, a backup. Exactly. And that's, you know, uh, that's an excellent point. I mean, that's everybody was saying Alabama is not going to be as good as they were last year, but I still think they're going to be one of the best teams in the country. And, and what are we watching? We're watching an Alabama team be – or, you know, still one of the best teams in the country, but they weren't as good as they were last year. So everything that a lot of people predicted is coming to fruition. And I think the part that frustrates most fans is that they're not seeing positive progress on a week-to-week basis. You know, they, they look at the beginning of the season and the offense, and it feels like the offense has trailed off a little bit. And they look at the defense, and it just they would think that, you know, they expected it to kind of be elite from day one. 
And not only was it not elite from day one, it has been progressing in the right direction, but it's just not to the degree they thought they would have, you know, a lot of fans thought by the, by seasons in, by the time the SEC championship rolls around, we've got Georgia's defense, uh, you know, helping us out, you know, with that same caliber talented defense. And then the offense is going to be really good. And it's just, just the progress. There's been some bumps along the way. I think it's been a tough schedule. I think other teams have had tough uh, schedules as well, but I, you know, one thing about it, and this is something that I don't think too many people are going to deny. I do think that Alabama playing Georgia's schedule would have given up a lot more points than their defense has given up. But I also think that Alabama playing their schedule, they might have played a couple of games close because they played some decent teams, you know, or not decent, but just very mediocre teams, LSU, you know, Tennessee, uh, you know, teams like that, Arkansas. And they would have, um, you know, probably played some close, but the, I think they'd be undefeated with Georgia's schedule right now. And I think that we'd be talking about them being potentially the best team in the country with some flaws. But, you know, if Georgia played Alabama's schedule, they very well could be undefeated too. But I think that they would have had a lot more close calls, a lot more difficult matchups, and we wouldn't be talking about them being quite as dominant or, or that much further ahead of Alabama if you flip the two-team schedule. So it's just that's how it works out. And, you know, I think it's going to be a great game on Saturday. Yeah, the West is better than the East. Uh that's just true. Like you said, one through seven, all, all being about equal, there's no bad teams in the West. I mean, I guess LSU technically finished last, I guess. Um, but that's, they just that's beat a bad, They just, they just you know, beat a and they, and they went to, yeah. They, and they went toe to toe with Alabama, you know, they go to Bryant Denny stadium. So that's why I say on any given Saturday, the number seven team, as bad as it may look to you, it could beat the number one team on any given Saturday. And that it does not mean that the SEC West is down. It means it's competitive. Yeah, and in the East, not only do you have Vanderbilt, who is completely non-competitive, you know, Missouri wasn't very good. Uh, South Carolina was okay, but not as good as – I think South Carolina would have finished dead, dead last in the West. Um, you know, if there were eight teams, they would finish eighth, I think. So Florida was down big time. Florida, this was the worst Florida team. Now, Alabama, you know, got Florida when they were still – thinking they were going to win and, and play them well. I mean, I think Florida was 3-0 and going into that game, left left the Alabama game 3-1, and losing to Alabama by a two-point conversion. Uh, people felt a little differently about Florida then than they think of them now, but it is a down Florida team. Uh, Tennessee was, was competitive. Kentucky's pretty good. Uh, but, you know, Tennessee and Kentucky wouldn't have done really well in the West. They, they might have found their way to 6-6, six and six, maybe. Um, but, no, you're right. The, the, the West is tougher, and I bring that up specifically to bring up this stat to be proud of, is, is that Georgia finished number one in the nation in total defense in the regular season. Alabama finished seventh in the nation, uh, 64 yards. Alabama gives up 64 more yards a game than this Georgia defense that many say might be the best defense to ever play in the SEC. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying some people are saying that that they're the best defense to ever play. Alabama only gives up 64 more yards a game. Clint, what I would say is, isn't that probably a product of the schedule? Uh, Alabama did play a tougher slate than Georgia, somewhat, not hugely, but yes, Alabama's schedule was tougher, being a West schedule as opposed to an East schedule. That may account for the 64 yards. That's a great point. And, and let's also not forget, this was the game that saves Auburn's season. If they beat Alabama, all is right in the world. All, all is fine. It doesn't matter that you were on a three-game skid and that you had lost to Mississippi State, or, you know, on a huge, you know, comeback, and that you had lost to Texas A&M and 
you know, South Carolina was even able to get a victory over you. All that matters is that you beat Alabama and there was a lot to play for and give Auburn a ton of credit. Not only do they have a great game plan, but they played with so much energy and passion. And you can tell when, when, you know, the, the fans, I don't think the fans that were in that stadium really believed they were hanging with Alabama. I think over the course of the game, they started figuring out, wow, we can actually win this football game. And it started to become an electric fun environment. But I think the only people that were truly giving Auburn a chance were the people on that sidelines on Saturday, the coaching staff and the players and give them a ton of credit for that. Because not only did they have that belief, they, they proved that they did have a chance, and if they would have won that football game, nobody would have been surprised. In fact, with I mean, it was a 99.9% chance at one point, uh, I think with a minute and a half left in the game, that Auburn was going to win. You're talking a 99.9% chance. So Auburn did its part, and they had some very unfortunate things down the stretch, but give them a lot of credit for what they were able to accomplish. Now, starting to talk a little bit about the actual performances, because we've talked about the game, and we've talked about it more broadly, but I guess we'll, you know, we've talked a lot about the defense. Let's talk a little bit about the offense. I mean, what did you see from those guys? For me personally, you know, uh, what I found interesting is this is how much trust that Alabama has in John Mechie. And especially when Jamison Williams goes down, Roger McCreary is the best Auburn defender, and it's not really that close. He was on John Mechie, you know, a lot pretty much the entire time on Saturday. And yet Alabama targeted John Mechie 20 four times he got 24 targets in a football game had 13 catches for 150 yards but they were there was a lot of times that they were going at at roger mccreary and there was at points in my head where i'm thinking why are you doing that and then you realize it's because that's where john mechie is and as good as you think roger mccreary is you believe in john mechie if you're bryce young you believe john mechie is the guy that you want to target and he, you know, Roger McCreary got tons of wins against uh, John Mechie. Don't get me wrong, but Mechie also got his as well. Yeah, uh, I think it's interesting that I, I don't I don't watch Auburn enough to know whether they do this regularly. But for those that don't know, uh, you know, in terms of how Alabama plays its cornerbacks, you know, five and twenty eight are normally the starting corners: Jalen Armour Davis and Josh Job. Alabama plays a left right system. It hadn't always been that way, but it's been that way recently. And, and in that, I mean, recent years, not just this season. Uh, that's what Coach Saban and uh, Pete Golding prefer, uh, that Alabama plays left and right corners. That means it doesn't matter whether you're on the field side or the boundary side or who the matchups are. It's that uh, one of them is the left cornerback and the other one's the right cornerback, and that never changes. Um, now, interestingly, Auburn, uh, they do more of a match situation. They take their best corner and they put it on your best receiver notice that McCreary was actually on Jameson Williams to start the game. And then after Jameson is ejected, then McCreary was on Mechie and basically didn't matter whether Mechie lined up at, 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 at Z or X or H in the slot. Uh, McCreary followed him. It was like McCreary's job, follow Mechie. He's your guy, just like in a basketball concept. Um, and McCreary is a hell of a player. He's potentially a first-round pick. I think actually he'll end up probably going day two. Nothing wrong with that. But he, he's a high-level player. And for Mechie to have the sort of game he had um, – and, and you're right, McCreary had his wins. Of course he did. He's a great player. Uh, but Mechie had enough wins to win the game. And Mechie had enough wins, in my mind, to be really the player of the game. I mean, some people might give it to Bryce, and that's fair. But to me, it's Mechie because – 
so much depended on him when Jamison went out and he came through. Uh, and, and, and I know there's been some talk all through the season. It was silly talk to me, like, why does this matter? But there was some criticism of Metch that he's not, he's not a wide receiver one. That's what the critics would say. We don't have a true wide receiver one. It's certainly not Mechie. This is what I think. I think Alabama's got two wide receiver ones. <laughs> Jamison Williams and John Mechie are both premier wide receivers in the sport. I don't know how high you have to rank nationally to be a wide receiver one. Makes sense to me. There'd be 130 of them, I guess. Everybody's best, you know. But even if you say, okay, no, uh, only the only the top 25% of starters. I mean, Mechie and Jameson Williams are easily both in that group. Jameson's national top 10, if not top five. And, and, and I think Mechie would be top 15 nationally. So, and he proved it Saturday. So, I was mostly proud of him and 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 really that was a game that John Mechie won for Alabama you know he was a huge part of it for sure and and, and of the the 24 targets that that John Mechie got I want to say that Roger McCreary yeah he was covering on 14 of them now granted to start the game like you're talking about he was covering Jamison Williams Jamison Williams gets tossed out of the game or for for targeting and Roger McCreary became pretty much exclusively on John Mechie and of those 14 targets, uh, Mechie caught seven of them for 110 yards and averaged, you know, almost 16 yards a catch. So he had plenty of wins, and he did extremely well. And NFL evaluators are going to watch that and say, this is it's a big. very good cornerback. And, you know, the, he was put on, not on an island necessarily, but he was, you know, tasked with, with slowing down John Mechie, and it was a, an absolute battle. Both guys got, I mean, a 50% completion rate when targeting him. That's half the wins, you know, for the defense, half the wins for the offense. And, but, you know, Mechie was able to win and get enough to make a significant difference in this football game and help Alabama win the football game, including catching that two-point conversion, the game-winning two-point conversion. It was a great performance from him. You know, some other guys that I thought stood out, you know, Brian Robinson Jr., you know, he ends up getting banged up in the game, and we'll talk about injuries here in just a second. But, you know, I thought that Trey Sanders coming in, even though, you know, he only averaged 2.3 yards per carry, I thought from, you know, the fact that he just he, he provided a presence, he kind of had that Najee hurdle thing going on, showed a lot of athleticism on that play. I think Alabama's in pretty big trouble if if Brian Robinson is unable to go. I don't think that you want Trey Sanders. I mean, it's fine. I think he's, if he's your starter, I think you're fine with that. But I don't think you want him getting, you know, 25, 30 carries in a football game, which means you're going to have to be putting in, you know, you're probably going to see a lot more Christian Leary. You might see some Des Moines Kennedy. Uh, I don't really know how that's going to end up playing out, but uh, you know, who were some of the other offensive standouts? Because we're about to get to the guys who didn't perform well, and that's going to be quite more of an extensive list. Yeah, Ja'Cory Brooks is obviously a big star. Uh, so cool that he, instead of complaining, I mean, he was a higher-rated five-star than another wide receiver who spent a lot of the fall tweeting and complaining about not playing publicly. Uh, the other kid who was even higher-rated and higher-recruited, what he did was find a way to help the team win. Uh, by, by finding a role on special teams and eventually being a guy that's standing next to the coach when, when the starter, Jameson Williams, gets hurt and, and put himself in a position to where he was next up. And, and he not only is next up, he goes in there and literally helps the team win the game uh, with a spectacular catch that will live in Iron Bowl history. Um, I, I think that's the coolest part of the Ja'Cory Brooks thing is a five-star who, who acted more like a lunch pail guy you know, and, 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 and came through at the end when we needed him. I think that's a great story. I think Brian Robinson, despite getting very, very little help from the guys up front, 
had pretty good numbers. I think if you add up his rushing yards and his receiving yards, it was either right at 100 or right at 99 uh, total yards uh, in the game, rushing and receiving, which is good considering he wasn't really getting a lot of help. Um, of course, Bryce Young was a huge part of the win. He continues to amaze when this season is over. Uh, however it ends, one of the things I look forward to doing is just writing out all of Bryce's numbers for the season and comparing them to Tua's in 2018 and 2019 and Matt Jones in 2020 and see literally where he stacked side by side against those guys. I think everybody might be surprised uh, how he is so easily stacks up to those guys despite having less help. Those guys were playing behind a, a Joe Moore, a winning offensive line, or at least one in contention to win it. And, and, and Bryce has been behind a very average SEC offensive line uh, and, and didn't have Heisman winner outside or a first-round pick in the backfield and still put up numbers comparable to Tua and Mac and, and Jalen before they hit them. So uh, Bryce, B-Rob, Metch, Brooks, J-Mo uh, when he played. And let's uh, also give a shout-out to Billingsley, who's also been pooped on uh, during the season, some of it of his own uh, doing, but he hasn't been a big part of the season, but he damn sure was a big part of the win, uh, converting that fourth down. If he doesn't catch and hold on to that ball, get open and make that play, uh, it's a loss. We never get to overtime. So uh, those guys played well. Everybody else was terrible. I'll let you list all the terrible guys. Yeah, um, really – it was it was a really big really bad game for Damian George. It, it really was, and and I believe in his ability long term. I still think he's going to be a good player for Alabama, but this was this is one of those tapes that you you might go back and watch once to learn. But really, you're just like we might just need to burn that tape and move on because it was really really bad. And, and I did say, and some people pointed it out on the BCS Alabama message boards uh, that in my quick hits piece following the game you know when chris owens came in at right tackle uh and replaced amian george i thought he played okay um i, I kind of saw the same player that i had seen throughout the entire season it's just when you compare that to what they had been getting at that position in this particular game from damian george it was better and it was quite a bit better and, I, and so i said in the in the piece i said that they put chris owens in he, and he wasn't much better and i take that back especially going back and watching I do think he was better, and they got more stability from that position. I just don't think that he was any more improved than he's been all season. I just think when you compare it to how bad that position was at throughout you know, most of that game or the first half of that game, I did think it was an improvement, and I thought it was a good move by the coaching staff because they couldn't afford to have that level of a liability you know, because Derek Hall and, and anybody, anybody and everybody was eating Damian George's lunch, and, and I'm not trying to criticize him individually. I think that he would tell you probably the same thing. And I don't think that Alabama fans need to give up on him because I still think he's going to be a very good player. But this is just, it just wasn't his day. Um, and, you know, Darian Dalcourt, he's been dealing with that ankle injury. Apparently, it's continued to hamper him a little bit. He did not perform well. Seth McLaughlin ended up coming in and starting or playing a lot at center. Ups and downs, you know, that one snap, you know, the, I think uh, Gary Danielson said that Bryce Young should have caught the snap. Um, he shouldn't have. It was a terrible snap and it was very, it was a very, very difficult play for, for Bryce Young to handle. And I so saw I put that on McLaughlin, and you know he's got to get better as far as his snapping consistency. It's not just him. Chris Owen struggled with snaps. Darian Dalcourt has a little bit this year. It's something that you very rarely had a problem with in the past, but it seems like everybody that's up for center, you know, it ha has some snapping issues. And I don't know why that is. I don't think that's a Doug Marone thing. I, I just you know it could be an unfortunate you know run of luck, but um, 
you know, they need to get that position figured out as well because that was a crucial third down play. Bryce did not get a clean snap and they got stopped as a result. Uh, so, you know, you can you can stall drives and that can be the difference in you winning or losing a football game. You got to get that stuff fixed. I even thought Evan Neal did not have his best performance. Um, I thought he was good. He's probably still one of the better offensive linemen. You know, well, you want to know the one guy I think played phenomenal compared to what I've seen, especially with what was happening on either side of him is Emil Ikior. I thought he played a good football game. I, I knew you were going to say that, and that's good because it confirmed what I thought as well. Watching the five offensive linemen, like if anyone did okay, it was Ekior to me. So I'm glad that you saw that and said that because now it makes me feel better about, hey, I think I think I, I, I might have been onto something there. Not that he, you know, is, I'll be surprised if he's a staff player of the week <laughs> as, as will be announced in an hour or so. Uh, but no, I thought Ekior was okay and I thought that Chris Owens was okay. And McLaughlin, McLaughlin was good, all things considered. Did he get the center position blocked at an all SEC level? Hell no. It wasn't anything like that. But considering he's never really played under fire and he had to come in and he was, you know, dumped into a war zone and uh, and had to handle the snaps and Auburn. Uh, you factor all that in. And I think I think there's a good chance that Alabama's found a future center there in Seth McLaughlin. But whew, that was rough. But let me again reiterate quickly, because I know we're running out of time, is when the other team blitzes and they get pressure on the quarterback, it's not always the offensive line's fault. Not always. It usually is. <laughs> it usually is. And sometimes it's blocking the wrong guy. Not that you didn't get your guy blocked. It's that you got everybody confused because you blocked the guy you weren't supposed to block and it, and it screwed everything else up. Um, but when the other team brings more than five and the offensive line is confused as to who, I mean, it's just not always their fault. I think some of it is probably on Bryce. And I don't mean to pick on him and I don't mean to, to oversell that point. I would just say that you know, in terms of calling the protection, sliding your protection, uh, having a play called that all of a sudden you see the alignment and it's just going to be a disaster based on how Auburn is lined up. Uh, you know, I, I, I think Bryce has to get better at that. And again, that, that's not inside scoop. That's just basically an opinion I have of watching us defend. I don't think it's exclusively the fault of the five offensive linemen when there's pressure on Bryce, uh, following a blitz well if you want a perfect example of that go to the nfl level you know uh philip Lindsay was cut by the houston texans the miami dolphins claimed him off of waivers it gave Tua a new running back he had only been in the building for a few days so he didn't get a ton of work i got a couple of carries but when you watched him in pass protection there were a couple of times where he made the difference you know the offensive line has not been good in miami it wasn't that great against houston or uh, against uh, the carolina panthers on sunday but you saw better protection from just the running back spot. When the first defender was getting through, Phillip Lindsay was the one picking him up and giving Tua just a little bit more time to throw the football, and it made a world of difference. And so that's what will tell you how much you know having a good uh, pass-blocking running back can do for your offense. So I do think that that is very important. I think the offensive line still has a lot of work to do, and it's going to be a tough task against Georgia. Uh, but I thought JV and Cohen played – you know, pretty well. I thought Emil Ikior played probably the best uh, of the offensive linemen just because, you know, compared to where I've seen him play at times this year, I think the center and the right tackle positions, both, you know, guys for at both positions were okay. Um, well, I mean, I wouldn't say okay. It was either terrible or okay. 
Uh, and then Evan Neal was just okay. You know, he wasn't Superman like we've kind of grown accustomed to seeing from him. But, you know, it was a it was a tough matchup across the board. But, you know, I know we've got to probably hop off on here. We I think we've been on here for about 45 minutes. But we are going to talk a little bit more about the Iron Bowl tomorrow uh, because there's more players who deserve to be talked about and because and I also think it's going to translate to Georgia and, you know, some things they need to identify. So we're going to be doing that. We're not done with the Auburn talks. Don't think we're not going to give DeMarco Hellams and some of these other players the recognition that they deserve. Um, and then also talking a lot about the injuries and where Alabama's at as far as his running back position and, you know, the offensive line. Um, you know, there's a lot of question marks. Malachi Moore, you know, Jalen Armour Davis, both those guys, neither of those two guys got any snaps on Saturday. What's going on? What's going to happen with the secondary? All that stuff we're going to talk about tomorrow. So we appreciate you guys tuning in today. And we will talk to you guys soon. Jimmy, I appreciate you as always. Hey, Roll Todd. Thanks for uh, thanks for co-hosting to an Iron Bowl winning standard. Absolutely, man. They had a lot of fun, and we're going to be doing it again in the morning. So I appreciate you hopping on here with me. And thank you guys for listening in. This has been the Bam on 3 Show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.